Hi, everyone. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat Podcast. Well, the great pleasure of being joined by a couple of uh, really cool gentlemen here with a great topic I'm excited to talk with you about. First is Akshay Anand, who is Product Ambassador Axel Laws. Also, we have with us John Stevens-Hall, a Principal Product Manager with BMC Software. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you about this. We're going to jump into Idle, Idle 4, and some of the work that you've been contributing to that. But uh, first, why don't we start up? John, would you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do and a little bit about BMC Software. I'm sure many people know that, but uh, just for the sure. folks who don't. So I'm, I'm uh, the principal product manager for BMC's enterprise ITSM suite, which um, you know comes from the, the Remedy Heritage family of products, um, now titled BMC Helix ITSM. And I've been around service management uh, for over 20 years now. I sort of walked out of university into my first job in the late 90s, implementing systems for ITIL 2 over at uh, what became Yale Group. And, and so I've been around service management and ITSM for, for all that time. And uh, obviously my, my, my primary role at BMC is, is producing and, and creating software and tools, but also we always try to be active members of the ITSM community in general, which is what sort of led me on a personal basis to being one of the contributors for ITIL 4. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Excellent. And Akshay, how about you? Sure. So um, I joined Axelos about four years ago. Um, Axelos, for those who don't know, is uh, a joint venture between Her Majesty's government and uh, a private sector uh, company called Capita. Um, we like to see ourselves as the custodians of the IP uh, of not, on, not only ITIL, but other best practice frameworks like PRINCE2, uh, which is about project management, or MSP, which is about program management. Um, I'm product ambassador, so sort of like the product evangelist for ITSM and ITIL in general. Uh, my background is mostly around consulting in the IT service management, consulting advisory. Uh, I've also been uh, head of service management for Macmillan Publishing for a couple of years. Um, and yeah, like I said, I joined um, Axlos four years ago, and it's it's been a blast. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm sure that uh, consulting and also, John, your experience with BMC gives you uh, some real-world perspective on, on IDLE and IDLE 4. We'll talk about the, the, the publications that you've contributed, the IP. I think the uh, Create, Deliver, and Support around IDLE 4 is, uh, is one of the areas that you both contributed. Do you want to jump in first, Akshay? Sure. So, um, Create, Deliver, and Support is one of uh, four books in, in a learning stream that we call Managing Professional. Um, all the books in that sort of learning stream are oriented towards uh, managers or uh, professionals who are either managing or designing systems, service management systems. Uh, Create, Deliver, and Support in particular talks about uh, you know, things like employee engagement and professionalism, um, a lot of the commonly used tools needed to create, deliver, and support services, uh, things like value streams, value stream mapping, um, how to apply value streams within the context of Idle 4, how to manage suppliers. So it's, it's, a, it's a very wide-ranging book, but it goes into a lot of detail about very, very specific techniques. Um, two of those techniques were actually authored by, by John, um, and uh, one was around uh, tickets and the use of tickets or, or the misuse of tickets and, and what to avoid. Um, and the other was actually around swarming and how swarming can be a good uh, model to use within service management organizations and uh, a technique that can be used to foster collaboration between 
uh, development and engineering teams and frontline support teams. Interesting. John, love to hear about that. I know just to share you a bias about tickets, I think everybody's impression of IT is you can't talk to IT unless you complete a ticket. Well, maybe that's yeah. taken a little bit far, right? <laughs> well, that's, that's definitely a true impression. I mean, one of the things I've spent much of the last six years doing is really, I'm a bit of a method actor. I've been very immersed in the DevOps community. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost, I joke that I went to my first DevOps conference by accident because I signed up for something called Configuration Management Camp and thinking, you know, ITSM, CMDB, Configuration Management. Soon mm-hmm. learned very quickly we were talking more Puppet and Chef and Ansible and uh, went anyway and it was fantastic because it's opened up a door into a world that has evolved somewhat differently. And, and there were many aspects of culture that I think IT service management was not understanding very well, which is one of the reasons I was very keen to bring my kind of cross-domain perspective to ITIL 4, because I think a lot of us felt ITIL, bear in mind that version 3 originated before DevOps, mm-hmm. you know, it needed a big refresh. And that, that example of tickets absolutely is true. I mean, pe- people sort of see this negative perception that, you know, to, to get infrastructure, we used to have to raise a ticket and wait three weeks. Now we can log on to a, you know, a, a software-defined infrastructure tool, and we can create it right away, and, and it's all delivered on cloud. Um, and absolutely, I mean, one of the, you know, we sometimes, I, I think the, the heritage of IT has, has created these, you know, th- these impressions, not in a vacuum, you know, n- n- they're not false impressions sometimes, but I mean, ultimately what is it, you know, a ticket just is, is just a data record that represents a piece of work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work we've done around developing systems at BMC has been to try and sort of take away this, you know, this old way of very sort of skeuomorphically presenting a form to somebody who did all the fields on that piece of work, you know, all the things about that. And, and I, I wrote a blog on this a, a, a year or two ago where I, I likened it to an old taxi booking service I used to use in California if I flew to work, where you had to kind of fill in about three pages, box, 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 box. All those things are important pieces probably for the taxi operator. But, you know, this is the world where I can open up my smartphone and press one button and get a taxi. You know, I, I don't have to care about all that stuff. Likewise, I think where, you know, where we've had to move on is to sort of, you know, what we've had to learn as a community on the service management side and, and maybe, you know, have to convey more to the DevOps world is that, you know, that we, we all record units of work. We just don't have to necessarily present it in such a complicated way. Mm-hmm. And, and we can, you know, we, we should focus on the, the actual flows and the people and not this sort of big ticket data problem. You know, we, we, we probably still want to know that you're deploying infrastructure but we don't have to make you fill out a great big form to do it. Well, and software engineers kind of think in terms of Kanban cards and stories and epics, you know, applying agile kind of things. Have some of those concepts then creeped into the idea around tickets within Idle 4? Is there, is there some intersection of those ideas at all? Um, yeah, I mean, so, uh, I, go ahead, actually. I was going to say, in general, uh, I think we, we definitely had a lot of inspiration across the entire idle for contributing team, whether, uh, you know, uh, architects, authors, reviewers, etc. cetera. Um, there, there were definitely a lot of people who pulled on a lesson, a lot of lessons learned from the world of agile software development, um, of uh, DevOps and of Lean. Uh, and we try to incorporate a lot of that thinking into uh, idle for. Um, 
it may have been there in Idle version 3, but it possibly wasn't at the forefront. It wasn't embedded at the heart of, of the framework. Um, but what we did with Idle 4 was to say, look, these are important. You know, We need to be able to reinforce continual improvement. We need to be able to reinforce elimination of wasteful work. We need to reinforce um, you know, that we're working in complex environments, especially as we're working in a in environments which are at, at this level of service management is a mix of human and non-human interactions and that is inherently complex and we need to reinforce things like um, iterative progression and the, the role of feedback in such a system and, and so on. So we brought a lot of those lessons in. Um, uh, whether that was at sort of very foundational models that we used uh, in subsequent publications to present and frame certain arguments, or whether that was highlighting specific techniques like uh, Kanban or, um, um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, sorry, I haven't had enough coffee, uh, but <laughs> highlighting specific techniques like Kanban and others in other publications. So there's another publication called High Velocity IT, and coincidentally, John was a contributor to that as well. And in that, we talk about how certain techniques can be used to uh, meet certain objectives in high velocity service organizations like uh, fast development or um, uh, creating faster feedback loops at the service level. Sure, we have it at a technical level, but we also need to be able to mirror that uh, or replicate that in some shape or fashion at the service level. So we definitely try to bring in as much of that thinking, foundational thinking from lean and agile and other um, uh, best practices or emerging practices and bake that into idle four. Yeah. But for the specifics on, on how we did that is with queuing and, and swarming and so on. That's, that's a lot of the stuff that John helped um, author. Yeah. Honestly. And I think, one one of the biggest, I mean, taking a step back from just the concept, you know, the rethinking about things like tickets. What, what one of the things I'm very happy with, and one of the reasons I was happy to really get involved with ITIL for, was that it's it's it shifted a lot of thinking. And again, learning from DevOps and Lean in particular, it, it, and and making us think much more about value than than process and control. And and of course, that's you know, that that that's been a challenge for us to you know to to position that we're thinking that way but but ultimately let's, i want to sort of talk the positive things you know I, I talk to developers in the devops world who see huge value in people taking some of the the legwork off their you know off their 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 workload you know so so what we all know that those developers are delivering the most value if they're innovating the developing if we can bring service management techniques better align it with devops so that any of the support tickets that are coming the developers way you know, the, the, the issues that inevitably come up when the, and especially as DevOps in enterprises goes from sort of small little startup exercises to big and normal and, and widespread, suddenly those developers often find themselves doing half of their work resolving issues that have come in, you know, mm -hmm. come in from either monitoring or from people. And, and one thing that service management has done extremely well for a long time is, is help to kind of industrialize and produce high quality support channels. So what we are in a great position to do is actually, you know, with that focus on value, you know, in a lean culture, if it's not valuable, why the hell are we doing it? By kind of moving on from some of the old concepts and but taking all the things we've done very well and get, you know, working with the DevOps community with a much better understanding of the way they've learned, you know, drawing off their lessons, but at the same time pushing the fact that there is huge value that we can deliver to help them do what they do, then, you know, suddenly this, this you know, IT service management and the frame, you know, the ITIL framework are in a much better position to help those things. And I'm, I'm seeing people who were very skeptical before 
now saying actually this is helping to unlock their organization's confidence and, and you know give them that ability to go faster with DevOps. It's, you know, it's really heartening to hear that's the approach that you, you both have taken with this because it seems, you know, there's sort of the impression of process for process sake, where we're, no matter what we're talking about. And of course, you know, many folks that are in this highly iterative, right? There's process in the way we create software that way. But if the, if the service management and the software creation processes can better mesh together, right? So that it's not viewed as an impedance when someone gets a ticket, right? And has to kind of conform to an old process, but it flows with how we develop software and release the change that might go through that. I think that maybe that's that um, continuity that we start to see between idle and DevOps and lean and agile to help everybody see how it can benefit what we're doing. I, I remember a, a conversation with a gentleman called Greg Sanka, who's the, uh, uh, CIO of Oregon State Administrative Services. Uh, this is a conversation maybe uh, last summer. And um, we were talking about the guiding principles that we introduced in ITIL 4. And in particular, we talked about focus on value. You know, it's, as a principle, we need to be able to focus on value. John's mm -hmm. just referred to that as well. But what we are talking about is nobody, sh very few teams are very sh are, are consistently sure on what value means and how value changes from for person to person. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's value for our customers who are, who are using the software and, and the applications that we're, we're deploying. But there's also value for your risk officer. There's value for your supplier. There's value for your CFO. Now, they, a lot of these people aren't involved in the actual use of the software day to day. They're not involved in the development of the software, etc. But we've got to be able to architect the solutions, the uh, service management wrapper around it, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to create that value. Now, part of the reason why sometimes IT service management and ticketing that you were mentioning has a, a bad reputation is that's how those, that, that assurance was created at a certain point in time. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we, we now have to go back and say, look, because technology has changed, we've removed certain risks that we were trying to mitigate uh, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, but we've introduced new risks that we didn't have 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So what does that assurance now need to look like? How do we re-architect our systems to accomplish that same assurance? How do we introduce more automation, remove the toil, et cetera, while providing to, in order to provide that assurance? Yeah. I'm it's almost like the, the ticket was almost the kind of the, the manifestation of the internal memo in a digital system, you know, the old yeah. paper memo. I mean, I'm old enough to remember those envelopes where you, you know, you crossed out the old address and put the next <laughs> one on and they went around the internal mail system. But you know, that it is important to remember that, that these processes actually helped us to move that kind of customer support in the technical world from ad hocracy and post-it notes to a proper, robust, scalable solution that moved us on to self-service, to knowledge management, to, you know, the you know, proper kind of ch properly established professional ways of handling and resolving issues mm. that are now extremely valuable when DevOps goes big in organizations and hits the mainstream and hits a large body of users and starts having to deal with, you know, support issues. The more stuff we can use these established service management practices, albeit modernized, heavily rethought, you know, focused much more on value than process for process sake, 
the more we can do that, the better, and, and this is proving itself over and over again with our customers, the, the better it actually helps us to enable DevOps to go, you know, to, 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 to accelerate, to, to deliver that, that huge value that we know it can create. Well, it seems like the, uh, some of the process and the, the auditability, if you want to think of the benefits of have, why you have processes, right? So consistency um, and, and reaction to, to issues and resolving them. Those are some things that can actually benefit people that are working in a high velocity environment because sometimes that can be a bit chaotic um, or it's just, you know, extremely fast. Obviously, your things are happening very quickly. And then when you need to start uh, interfacing with other parts of the organization, whether it's, you know, did we do vulnerability scanning for, for the security group? How are we handling uh, resolution time for production issues? That's where that intersection can really be helpful. And some of those well-defined processes and measurement, ways of measuring value from an operational standpoint, development teams don't have to do that because you've already done that through yeah. ITIL 4 in the process, right? And also one of the good things in ITIL 4 that we've been able to do is actually learn very much you know hands-on from devops so so one of the big subject areas that's really growing in interest on both sides as it were i don't, I don't like using the word sides but you know where i'm coming from is this idea of, of using more swarming technique than kind of the traditional structures and, and so th this is a really good example because you know very traditionally service management has kind of operated a three-tier support structure where you'll kind of have a front line at tier one which will try and, and probably mostly successfully fix most minor things you know, then if they can't, they'll escalate to a more expert level tier two. You know, back in the, the day, that would have been the service desk agents who then did their Microsoft certificates, for example, and became mm -hmm. a site more specialist team. And then things that can't be solved there, you know, that five, ten percent, whatever, would end up with tier three teams who are more likely to be developers, specialists. There's nothing wrong with having those teams, but what is wrong is a couple of things. You know, the first is that issues can often take a long time to get to that team because what we're effectively doing is putting queues in the way, you know, so it goes into the tier two queue. Someone then has X hours or days to pick it up. So it sits in that queue. It then goes to tier three and sits in a queue. And, and by the time it's got there, we've already got an angry customer, even though everyone might've met their operational agreements. The other thing that happens is the sort of ping pong effect where, you know, if it goes to a tier, th these things that get, especially to the tier three level, they might need input from several development teams. They might need a database team to have input to it. They might need a network team, whatever. Uh, and with these kind of traditional silos, although they're, you know, if, if the ticket's not gonna leave that silo, it's absolutely the right place for it to be. If the ticket, if the issue, I should talk issues, but things ping around and, and you end up with problems like champions emerging, who's the one person everybody knows can fix it mm. every time. And so they pay their mortgage off in overtime, but they always look a bit unhealthy and then they leave the company and everybody's in trouble. Um, so swarming has, has helped us actually it really is taking much leaner techniques. It's, a, it's about sort of more being more dynamic in the way things are brought together as a team, you know, tearing down some of these silo structures. And, and in particular, removing cues of unfulfilled work in progress. This so describe we're really for us. learning directly from lean, really learning directly from the DevOps focus on, on having much better flow and reducing handoffs, mm -hmm. and in particular, not letting things build up in, in cues. For so, someone that's not familiar with swarming, describe how that would work in this context. Okay, well. I mean, at BMC, we've done this in our own customer service team for a while. And, and what, is, you know, what it effectively means is a, is, is a couple of things. You know, you'll always have the kind of the, the most severe issues. 
have always pretty much been swarmed everywhere. And that's, you know, everything's on fire. So we'll get everybody we need into a room and we'll sort it out. And, and so that's always kind of been the most basic form of swarming, even though we haven't really called it that. And that's not really where the novelty is. For us, the novelty is we've collapsed that tier one and tier two. So instead of having that kind of chain where somebody fairly qualified takes a look, and then if they can't fix it, somebody more qualified takes a look, we kind of put those two people together. And, and instead of waiting for things to trickle through queues, we we look at the things as they're coming in. The, the, support, the support people will, will every maybe every hour just look at what's coming in that hour and be very reactive. You know, we can, okay, we can fix those three things. We'll just get it done. We'll qualify the rest very well. And you get this lovely sort of information sharing between the two levels as well. So, so they learn from each other. I, I, I think pair programming is an interesting you know, analogy from the, the modern software development world. Um, but the other, so, so that actually increases the flow very, very significantly through those first, you know, it gets things fixed quicker and it increases the throughput. Then when things do go to the sort of the tier three product specialist groups, they're not allowed to start assigning it around other tier three groups. So if they've got one of these more com complicated issues, instead of doing that, they'll pull together, you know, pull together a group of people into a swarm and, and work it that way. And it's all, they've got a lot of leeway to be very self-organizing, which again, probably doesn't sound like the impression that service management of old has given. So it's not that rigid, you know, that they, they will figure out what works best for their team. Uh, so we have some teams hold three sessions a day at fixed times and people can come in with issues. We have others that spin things up on a more ad hoc basis. But the, the interesting point is there, again, things are not going from bucket to bucket, you know, queue to queue. They're being owned by the person who kind of bring, you know, who takes command of them. And there's, we've found there's really great engagement, people coming together in, in what, you know, in a, in a Microsoft Teams session or on a call or, or face-to-face -face way back when. Um, and, and again, it looks a lot more like the kind of practices that have evolved in the DevOps community. So again, we're learning, you're le learning to sort of focus on delivering the value rather than focus on adhering to a predefined rigid process. Mm -hmm. Jump in there, actually. I know you were trying to, I think it may have stepped on what you were going to say, so jump in. Oh no! Um, I, I think I think it it, it works. Um, as John was saying, you know, uh, back in the day, or uh, probably even still to this day, you know, every time there's a there's a like a priority one incident or a severity one incident or one of those really uh, big thing, you know, everything's on fire type of thing. You know, we used to call it a war room back in the day. We used to have conference bridges back in the day. You know, so that technique was perhaps limited. In its application, but we're now starting to see how that same technique is being, if you will, scaled down or right scaled down to the appropriate size and being used across the support organization and not just limited for use to, you know, the, the buildings falling down type of issues. And one of the great things that's happened as we've sort of distributed this messaging and talked more about it is actually it's got huge engagement in the DevOps community. You know, I, I've, I've presented on this at a number of DevOps events, you know, right up to DevOps Enterprise Summit, because actually what, what I, I believe it's doing is it's sort of showing the DevOps community that, you know, there is not only is, is the support, you know, the, the world of kind of technical support and service management, you know, that sort of structured technical customer support and service management, we're, we're looking to try and offer value to the DevOps community. 
but we're also doing it in a way that is much better aligned with the way the DevOps community has learned to work. Uh, and you know, the, so rather than those developers ending up just being treated as a third line support team and having things thrown over the fence to them, it enables us to kind of bring a much more collaborative system together and, and reduce those kind of pockets of, you know, those, those, those silos where knowledge doesn't escape. So the value, again, thinking about the value, the value against those, to those teams working in the DevOps world is that we can actually be embedding support people much closer to what they do. And those support people learn how to fix the issues. And then when there's more of those issues, those support people are there as professional support, you know, as support professionals who are good at this kind of thing can be figuring out ways to you know, proactively resolve those things, automate those processes, move towards you know, customer self-service as, as an Osbert goal perhaps, or self-healing, and get those developers developing. Yeah, it also gives them more, I said, more closely aligned in knowledge about what the application is, how it's structured, who to contact, yeah. you know, help them maybe even diagnose more of the issues themselves. Yeah, so again, it, 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 uh, and it perhaps creates some parallels with what, you know, again, companies like Google have, have um, innovated with, uh, with site reliability engineering. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it's not quite the same. You know, these are not necessarily developers. And I, I often caution people from kind of just saying you can just do SRE. You, know, you can get service management kind of spaces like the service desk and do SRE. You're not really doing SRE in the strict sense the way you know it, it's known in the DevOps community, where it is kind of a developer, you know, development, you know, developers doing proactive things with infrastructure. You know, if you look at an SRE job spec, it's going to be a bunch of programming languages and related experience. But we can still take again those learning principles. You know, the 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 idea, for example, of of thinking in terms of error budgets you know so rather than every failure being a major you know something something to so every loss every you know every time we we lose a bit of our our remaining availability budget against that target you know that 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 could be that's always been seen as negative i think but but what sre has introduced is the concept of actually using some of that spare availability capacity to be proactive and make things work better mm -hmm. I, I like an analogy I draw is why don't we take somebody off the service desk calls for an hour? It means then we're, our, our call pickup percentage is 98% instead of 99%, but they, they could spend that time doing something that really, really drives improvement. So again, these, these techniques that have evolved in DevOps really sort of cross-pollinate well in the service management space and enable us to better connect to the way DevOps works and again, help them develop. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. This has been fascinating. Really enjoy talking, and I'm, I'm sure the audience does too that's uh, listening in. It's great to talk to the contributors, to the authors of this, because you get the benefit of both your writing and knowledge that's shared in that medium, but also what was the thinking behind it? What were the influences, mm -hmm. and how did you get to those conclusions? And sort of that context is also super helpful. So this has been really great. I've enjoyed talking with both of you. Uh, same here. Great. Well, my thanks to Akshay Anand, who's product ambassador with Exelos, and John Stephen Halls, excuse me, Stevens Hall, uh, principal product manager at BMC Software. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you for listening to us today. So, you've listened to another DevOps Chat podcast. This is Mitch Ashley thanking everyone for joining us today. Be safe, be careful out there. <laughs>